0: The following resource is from LMPC.org, and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at LMPC.org give. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments Amen. to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one He hate, who hates him. He will repay him to his face you shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you this, today. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And it is a privilege to be able to open God's Word together with you this morning. Uh, We are continuing our study in Deuteronomy, and last week we saw how Israel was called to go into the Promised Land, but were not to become like the people that were in the land. As God's covenant people and His most treasured possession, Israel was to be distinct, set apart, As God's people so that they might be a blessing to the nations around them. But in order for Israel to remain faithful to God and not give in to the temptations of the land, they were instructed to destroy every remnant of pagan idol worship that was represented in the land. And so this morning, as we just heard read, we will see how the sovereign, unconditional, electing love of God should impact and affect the way that we live our daily lives. So with that, let's pray, and then we will look at this text together. Father, we come to you now in prayer, not merely uh, out of routine, but because we have great need. Father, I pray that you would pour out your grace on the one who preaches, for we need to be faithful to your truth. Father, would you pour out your grace on all of us who hear your truth, that we might receive it in faith. That we might be changed by it, humbled by it, encouraged by it, convicted by it this morning. Father, if you would do this, we would return thanks to you, the faithful God, who hears the cries of your people and who answers according to your good will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we all likely have a story, usually from childhood, of not being chosen for something whether it was not being chosen for the key role in the school play or the solo in the chorus, or maybe you weren't chosen for the basketball team or some other athletic team, or maybe you weren't chosen as a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even a spouse. Not being chosen can sting, can it? It makes you feel as if you're not worth as much as other people around you. We all have an innate desire to be wanted to be chosen, wanted to feel valued and to feel loved by those around us. And when we don't experience that, we begin to doubt if we are lovable. But this morning, we will see how God chose the nation of Israel to be his most treasured and prized people out of all the nations on the planet. But we will also see how we can be deeply loved and valued. By the God who chooses his beloved children. Now you see in your outline there, the way we're going to look at this passage, we're going to see there's, it's going to help us to see three truths related to God's choosing of his beloved children. First, we're going to see the rationale behind God's choice. Then we'll see the character behind God's choice. And then finally, we'll see the right response to God's choice. Now beginning in verse 6, Moses says this to Israel, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But then, knowing the danger that Israel might think that there's something superior about them, that God would choose them, he brings reality to this to bear as he adds some clarity in verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you, we the fewest of all peoples. So God did not make covenant with Israel and choose to set his affections upon them because of inequality that was in Israel. His choosing had nothing to do with Israel. In other words, let's just say that if Israel was in relationship with God through a dating app, that God would have swiped right past the profile because there's nothing to write home about Israel. They're a tiny nation. They have very little to offer economically, militarily, and even morally. There was no qualities or qualifications that would endear God to them as his people. But God chose Israel to be his treasured possession. Israel are God's chosen people, but they are not his choice people. God tells Israel they are special and treasured by him simply because he chose them. Israel would never be in a relationship were it not for God. And Moses goes on to say as much. Look at verse 8. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What set Israel apart from every other nation on the planet was God's sovereign and electing grace. Out of all of his own being, his love, did God choose Israel to be his own. But in addition, God says that he had loved their forefathers and he promised that he would be in covenant with them and he would bless them, his descendants. And obviously reverting back to the covenant that we just spoke of that God made with Abraham. And we see that in Genesis 15 and 17. But God's covenant love is also demonstrated in his redemptive work in bringing uh, Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, walking them across dry land, protecting and providing for them. And later, in Deuteronomy 10, God will say to Israel, To the Lord your God belongs the earth and the nations and the heavens. And yet, he says, I set my electing love on you. God's sovereign, electing love is absolutely unconditional in that it is not based on our worthiness or our goodness in any way. Now, when we think about our own situation, God's electing love doesn't change when we come to the New Testament. Well, yes, His love now includes believers in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, but the basis of our acceptance has not changed one bit. The believer is such only because he or she has been chosen by God. Salvation, as we know, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. As a sinner before a holy God, there's nothing we can do to earn God's acceptance and be reconciled with Him. It's only out of God's sheer love and grace that He sets His affection on those who are His children. And Jesus says as much in his earthly ministry to his own disciples as he called them and he says to them in John 15, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you. And he further clarifies a little earlier in John 6 when he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Do you hear that electing love being chosen by God alone? The Bible makes it very clear that if we as believers believe upon faith in Christ, it is only because the Spirit has opened our eyes to receive Him. Otherwise, we would have no chance at salvation and being reconciled to God because we would remain in our sin, blind to the truth of the gospel. The Apostle Paul adds great clarity as well in the book of Ephesians which is so rich with these truths talking about God's electing love when he says in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then one chapter earlier, speaking of our election election and adoption, he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Now, contrary to what we might think we believe, often how we practically live in our daily lives is that, yes, I know that that's true, but you know what? I do think I offer something to God. I think He really is privileged to have me on His side. But in other words, as we see here, God tells us He has mercy on whom He has mercy. God loves Simply because he loves. God's unconditional love for us can often be very difficult to grasp because our love is too often conditional in the way that we seek benefits from others in our relationships. Take, for example, the marriage relationship. If you're married, if you ask your spouse, Why do you love me? and your spouse responds, Because you're beautiful or you're handsome or you're kind. Or you serve me well. Or you're patient with me. All those things are very good things, but they really pose a problem ultimately. Because every one of these things will change, and they fade. They're fragile. As great as those things are, we need something more stable. But on the other hand, if your spouse says, I love you simply because I've given myself to you, that's a more solid foundation from which to relate to one another. But in any earthly relationship, even in the strongest of marriages, there is a degree of conditionality that is present in the relationship. Since we're all human beings, our love has a degree of need attached to it. But here's the reality. God is the one who has no need. His love is the only love that does not change. And so therefore, only God can and does say to us, I love you because I love you. Pastor Tim Keller says, if you believe the God of the universe says this to you, I love you because I love you, this is the ultimate unassailable foundation upon which to build a life and an identity. All other identities, he says, are radically insecure compared to this. Now, when we truly catch a glimpse of this kind of grace and love poured out to us, rescuing us when we were unlovable, What this does is the Spirit begins to breed a sense of humility in our hearts. We can acknowledge that God gets all the glory, that I offer Him nothing. He chose me out of great love for me, not because I came with anything to offer. James tells us in James 2, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He's promised to those who love Him? Again, if we think we bring anything to the table other than our sin and filthy rags, we don't understand the gospel. We need to repent of our self-righteousness and we need to heed the words that Paul exhorts to the Christians at Corinth as they were living out of pride and arrogance thinking they were superior to others. And he told them, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. In other words, you're not that special. Don't think highly of yourself as if you had something great to offer. God loves and chooses out of his own accord and to lavish his love upon those he chooses to love. But next we see the basis, the character behind God's choosing. Verses 9 and 10, we're given this insight into the nature of God and his love for his creation. We're told in verse 9 that God is the faithful God who keeps his covenant to a thousand generations. And he is the God who is steadfast in his love for his children. Now throughout the Old Testament, when God's character is described as loving, the word hesed is used. And if you go to Psalm 136, we see 26 times the refrain, your steadfast love endures forever. It's speaking of his hesed kind of love, which is hard to translate in the English language, but it means it's a, it's a loyal love. It's unconditional. It is lavish in nature, and it is an enduring kind of love. Now, the word love, as we use it today, is so used so frequently and flippantly that we've cheapened it. We've diluted it. And so when we say the words or we hear the quote from 1 John 4 that God is love, we often very much underestimate the magnitude of what we are saying and hearing in that statement about God's character. See, what we think about the character of God is going to impact not only our understanding, but also our experience of the gospel. In his very helpful book, Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves explains how God is love because God is Trinity. The eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one of eternal love and eternal communion, which separates the triune God from every other single person deity there is. And as Reeves rightly notes, he says, if you have a single person God, i.e. Allah in Islam, that is not a God who is eternally loving because love is not part of his nature. In other words, there's a time in which before creation, A solitary God is alone. There is no need for relationship. There is no loving relationship that exists. We can only say that God is love of Yahweh, who as John 4, 17 tells us, is a father eternally loving his son as he pours out his spirit upon him. Only the God of the Bible is a God who is eternally loving. There is no other God like this God. And this is very important for us to recognize and understand because it means that God's love for us as his children is an extension of his perfect and eternal love for his own son. So if we are united to Christ, we live in the fullness of God's love that the Father has for the Son. Let that sink in just for a moment. The love and the delight that the Father has had for the Son from all eternity is the degree to which the Father loves you this morning, right now. Do you believe that? And does your life reflect that reality? In other words, when God looks upon you, He sees the beauty and the righteousness of His Son, and He is overjoyed and delighted with you, apart from anything you've done. Moses goes on, further describes God's love as being faithful to a thousand generations. Now contrast that with his steadfast love to a thousand generations within verse 10, his just judgment. We're told that he repays individuals who hate him and who rebel against him. God is not an angry, vengeful God. He's a very patient God. But to those who reject his truth and walk in darkness willingly, There is a point that he says, I will give you what you desire, and he hands them over. As one commentator notes, he says, God's passion for righteousness is so strong that he could not be more insistent in his demand for it, but his persistent love for his people is more insistent still. The righteous anger that God exhibits in his just judgment of the wicked is how a loving God responds to evil. Now make no mistake, there is no middle ground before a holy God. You either love Him or you hate Him. Which one of those describes you this morning? There is no middle ground. Christopher Wright says, the consequences of each choice of God are widely disproportionate. A thousand generations to one, showing where the overwhelming balance of God's own desires lies. Yahweh is a God who simply loves To love. Think about what is really at the root of the majority of our struggles, the things that we face each day of our lives. Whether it's walking through shaky finances that we are wondering how it's going to all shake out, or the various challenges that our children face, or the brokenness that is in our marriage relationship, or the fear, the anxiety, the angst that we have over work or over school. Or maybe the constant insecurity that we deal with every day as we think about our own body image. The list goes on and on and on. But at the root of each one of these struggles is varying degrees of doubt that God's love for us truly is unconditional. And that we can trust Him with every aspect of our lives. To hear God is reiterating that love and faithfulness characterize His nature. And more than that, he's provided us ample evidence of his steadfast love and of his faithfulness to us, not least of which is the sending of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to fulfill everything that we fail to do so that he could lavish his love upon us as undeserving sinners. See, every day of our lives, there are a thousand instances of God's love and faithfulness in all the minute details of our lives most of which we overlook and are oblivious to. But He's at work. In what specific areas of your life are you doubting God's steadfast love this morning? Currently, in what circumstances do you need to relinquish fear, anxiety, control over a specific situation? Knowing that the details are entrusted to God who is faithful and who will carry out His good his wise and His perfect plan in your life. See, no matter the number or the extent of our failures, which for all of us are many, and even no matter how complex the situation is that we're walking through this morning, that we don't know how it's going to turn out, God's love for you has not and will not ever fail you. And furthermore, each of His ways can be trusted because they're always for our good. That is His character, and He can do no other. Lastly, we learn the right response to God's gracious choice. God's call that is rooted in his steadfast love demands a response from us. And this section ends with Moses exhorting Israel to be careful to do the commandments and statutes and the rules that I command you today. Now, right as you hear those words, that statement should make you feel a little uneasy. Because don't forget, just the verse before, he says he's going to destroy those who rebel against him. Here, he's commanding obedience to everything that he has called his people to do. And so, we like Israel, called to do something that is an impossible task. How do you reconcile the call to obedience that we can't fully supply perfectly, and then the promise to destroy those who rebel against him? The only answer is found in the cross of Jesus. At the cross, the only one who has upheld the law perfectly was crucified and forsaken by his Father. Christ was destroyed in our place, incurring the payment for our covenant disobedience, the ones who broke his law. Everything that was required was fulfilled. All the conditions were fulfilled by Jesus alone. And as the righteous Redeemer, he stands to receive all the blessings and benefits of the Father as he sits at the right hand of God now so this means those who are now united to Jesus can be loved unconditionally by the Father. And because God has given us the greatest gift that we could ever ask or imagine, He's given us Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. This changes the trajectory and the goal of our lives dramatically. Knowing that Christ was crushed in my place, I now turn from thinking that walking with Jesus is all about superficial behavior modification and I turn to the law and see it as a gift, no longer a threat that I can now take seriously because it is the pathway to a life of joy and flourishing and freedom because it comes from the hand of my loving Father. As Paul reminds us in Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so this promise means that the Holy Spirit is committed to the work of transforming us, of taking our disordered loves and desires and conforming them to that of Jesus's. What can this kind of undeserved, radical grace produce in the life of those who experience His steadfast love and His faithfulness? It creates a counter-cultural community that is rooted in the love of God, that actively pursues humble obedience to God's glory. This kind of grace. Should motivate us to live with deep gratitude. That is marked. By a growing holiness. So this means. How we approach everything in our lives. Changes. How we view our family life. How we view our work. How we view our sexuality. How we view those who are different than us. And everything that we say. And that we do. We want to aim and have that reflect the image of our creator. See, God's electing love for his children is for the purpose of calling us to holiness. God set his electing love on unrighteous people, not because he was setting aside his righteousness, but because he's decided to make his people righteous. So it's his sovereign choice to call us so that we can be molded into the character of in the image, in the way of Jesus. Jesus did no, no other in his earthly ministry but what he's calling us to do. He says to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commands. And then he models this by saying in John 15, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, listen, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. The kind of love that a father has for the Son. The only right response is humble obedience and giving up our lives in service to Him. What are the current cravings of your flesh that you're struggling to lay down? What are those particular sins that are luring you away from faithful obedience and fidelity to the God whose name you proclaim? To His blood-bought sinner saints who are united to Jesus, who have been given the Holy Spirit We can speak back truth to the flesh, the world, and the devil when they seek to lure us away from obedience to God. We can say, I am not chosen for you. You can't and you won't love me unconditionally like Jesus can. See, I've been bought with a price and I belong body and soul to my Savior and that's whose image I'm being transformed to more and more each day. See, we have this ironclad promise that God has made to us as our faithful God, that the work that he has begun in our life, he will carry it out until we are perfectly holy in his sight when Jesus returns. That should give us full assurance, brothers and sisters, to lay down our lives in service to him. The family at my former church had adopted several children from Ethiopia. And these children were not chosen because of anything they did. But this family decided to bring four of these children back home to their family so that they could enjoy all the love and the provision and the protection that comes with being a part of this family. But as they brought the kids home, they noticed that one of the boys that they brought home was stealing food from the pantry, and he was hiding it in his room. Now, this is not so abnormal. They were, parents were warned of this, that the child might do this because of inconsistency in times in the orphanage and not knowing whether they'd have their next meal so they would steal food. But the counsel that they were given, the parents were given, was that they were to lock up the pantry so that the child couldn't get into the pantry. Now, brothers and sisters, as those who've been chosen and adopted by God into his family... We, too, still tend to hide food, as it were, questioning God's love for us, questioning whether He will provide for us for our every need. But instead of putting a lock on the pantry door, you know what God does? He takes the hinges off the door. He says, come, experience my unconditional love and every blessing that is mine through my Son, Jesus Christ, whom you are united to. It's yours. Enjoy it to the fullest. That kind of love demands a response. And the only right response is surrender and obedience. As one pastor notes, he says, the blessings of God are both conditional and unconditional. Jesus fulfills the conditions. And so therefore, we can receive his unconditional love. I love how Gerhardus Voss puts it. He says, God will never stop loving you because he never started. His love for you is from eternity to eternity. When we understand that, that begins to change everything about us. Not only our identity, but also our motivation for how we live and the assurance of the love that has been poured out to us. We can then live in true freedom to live the way that God has designed us to. And when we do fail and when we do sin and come up short, which we do, we don't have to fear because we know that we have a foundation of our faith that is stable, that cannot be shaken. Brothers and sisters, may we be a community who, being gripped by the amazing grace of God poured out to us in Jesus, may we give our very lives in complete surrender, gratitude, and worship to the one who has loved us unconditionally from before the foundation of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we doubt your love that is shown to us day in and day out, and that is shown most clearly in the cross, the Son that was given so that we might live and that we might be forgiven. Father, would you give us grace to trust your good character, that you are steadfast in your love, that you are faithful to your children? And Lord, would you allow us in those moments where we're walking through something very dark, very challenging, to know that you will not leave us, that your presence is with us, your spirit indwells our hearts, and that we can trust you that you are up to good, so that you might receive glory, and that we might faithfully walk by faith to experience and enjoy your blessings, even in through the hard stuff. Father, thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.